Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Roka Report podcast in association with the Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen. It's Gav back ahead of the Portsmouth game. A little bit unusual, I don't normally do these. Chris is on a little bit of a sabbatical this week. I say sabbatical, he's probably just chilling with his feet up. Uh, so I am taking over the reins for the preview pod and I'm delighted to be joined today uh, by our friend from the PO Forecast, the Pompey po- Podcast, Andy Mitchellmore. Andy, how are you doing? Hello, not too bad, thank you. Yeah, lovely to be here. Um, I probably would have been slightly more positive if we chatted before the midweek game, sort of the most boring <laughs> game on the planet against Wimbledon. But yeah, it's lovely to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, on that game, uh, beforehand, I checked the lineups on Tuesday night and I saw your team and I thought, that's a proper team, that. You know, decent players in pretty much every position. Thought EFC Wimbledon aren't really up to much. I was a bit surprised, actually, that you didn't manage to even score a goal in that game. What went what went on on Tuesday? Why why did Pompey not come away from Wimbledon with with three points? Yeah, it's one of those games where it's a, a real pity it wasn't played on paper. To be honest with you, because I'd have backed us to win that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it was it was pretty laboured. To be honest with you, first half Wimbledon were genuinely the better side. It would have been quite difficult to argue with it being unfair if they'd gone in one goal up at the break. I think Pompey pulled it pulled it back together a bit in the second half and we definitely had the better of the second 45. But it, w- it was one of the first games, I think, where the Cowleys got sort of out-tacticked a bit. It was mm. The system didn't work and there have been a few games this season when the players just haven't turned up and that is what it is. It's League One. I'm sure it happens to Sunderland. It happens to Pompey. That's why they're League One standard players. But on this occasion, I feel like the system didn't really work. The, the wing-back overlaps... Honestly, if I had, you know, if we'd had a drink every time a ball to an overlapping wing back had been intercepted by a Wimbledon player who'd read the run, like we wouldn't have made it till half time, honestly, with the amount <laughs> we'd have drunk. So the system just didn't quite click. And we, we struggled to deal with the high press, which we're normally quite good at battling against and has worked fairly well against Sunderland in the past, actually, that yeah. targeting against the high press. But it didn't come together on Tuesday night. It would be very easy to sit here and say that it was because there were two new signings in the squad and they didn't really gel, but it, it wasn't that in the slightest. They both had perfectly decent games. Uh, the new centre-back in particular, Hayden Carter. It just didn't come together, to be honest with you. It was very frustrating to watch. And you know, since the we had sort of an enforced COVID break, I think, I think we played Morecambe on. It was either the 11th or the 12th of December and won that game. And since then, we've 
really struggled to get any form together. We've, you know, struggled, apart from the, the game against Exeter when we nicked a 3-2 in the last minute, it really hasn't looked particularly coherent, uh, which mm. is, yeah, odd because, as you say, the names on paper, it looks like a, a very strong lineup. Yeah. Yeah, you, you just feel like we need something to break our way. Like uh, Malon Romeo had a shot from sort of 25, 30 yards out that hit the crossbar and went over and Wimbledon keeper made a couple of good saves and you just need one of those to sort of go your way and it can turn the tide a little bit. But that doesn't seem to quite be happening at the moment. Yeah, it's, it seems like such a long time since uh, since we played you last. That was at the start of October. Pretty mm. infamous game because the pitch was absolutely soaked and drenched and... Um, it just didn't suit Sunderland on the day, and it did suit Portsmouth. What's your memories of that day in particular, then? Because for our fans, it was it was very <laughs> miserable. Really long trip down the country to to see a game where we didn't turn up and we got out for a little bit. Um, and really, yeah, Portsmouth took the points deservedly. If I remember rightly, it was three 0 at half time. Yes, it was. Yeah, oh, we had a wonderful time. Great day out. <laughs> um, to be honest with you, expectations were fairly low for that game. We'd come in off, I think it was two defeats and two draws, or maybe even three defeats and two draws. Hadn't won for a while. And expectations were not high. And uh, I don't know what you're talking about with the pitch. We thought it was in excellent condition for the <laughs> afternoon, to be honest with you. Uh, for, for comedy value, it was absolutely perfect. There were quite a few memes went flying around afterwards with some with some music to them. But it was unexpected. And I think from our side of things, we were we were pleasantly surprised that the referee didn't give in to what we saw as a lot of pressure. And I'm sure you'll have a different view on this, I'd imagine, from the other side of the stadium. But with it being 3-0 at halftime, the weather obviously did get a lot worse in the second half, or the, the pitch state did anyway. But I don't, I don't know. You're going to disagree with me, I'd imagine. But I thought the referee showed quite a lot of guts to actually see the game out because by the end of the game, it wasn't really playable. But I don't... I think it was the preferable option when it was, you know, 3-0, 4-0, just to see the game out. Because I, I don't think the result would have changed. I, that's probably not what the law book says the referee should do, to be fair. That's just me talking as a football fan. But <laughs> yeah. we had a great time. I, one of my friends came down for his first ever game at Fratton. He's a West Ham fan. But we had one of our season tickets was going spare. And I sort of managed his expectations all the way down. So I live in Oxford, but I go down for all the home games. And I managed his expectations all the way down on the train. And at half time, he was like, what, what are you talking about? You're brilliant. I was like, no, no, no. If you'd, uh, you know, watched us losing to, to Cambridge United at home a few weeks before and, and losing to Burton the game before, he'd have had a different opinion. But yeah, it was one of those days where it came together. And as you say, that Sunderland just didn't cope with the conditions. I, you said it was there. It was a, a style of football issue. But you just couldn't adapt and I felt like Pompey adapted a lot better to the conditions. And I don't think it's even because they were the home team because no one's used to playing on pitches like that. You know, it's, it's no. not, it's, you don't train for that in the slightest. You know, you need to rent a swimming pool. We don't have those facilities. At the yeah, it was, it was a strange one, really, because I remember going into the game, we were in pretty good form and uh, you weren't, as you said. So everybody was sort of expecting that to be um, quite a big sort of point in the season for Sunderland in terms of we get a win at Portsmouth. That really cements our status as a top team in this league, and yeah, it was a it was a blip really for us that one. Um, but we we've seen to be fair in in other games this season with Sun, and we've seen when the pitch isn't quite right, it doesn't suit our the way we like to play because we've played teams off the park this season. Um, but then it was just the other week we played um, Lincoln at home, 
and it was our pitch and for whatever reason and Lee Johnson came out after the game and said he hadn't requested this but the pitch was soaked before the game which I read cut, that yeah, yeah I read about that actually yeah so I mean advice to any uh and I'll, I'll probably get shot for saying this on a Sunday podcast but advice to any of the Portsmouth uh, ground staff listen would probably be to just soak the pitch because um <laughs> next time we come to Fratton Park because it yeah it just doesn't suit us at all it doesn't suit us at all um Hopefully this time around at the stadium of light though, yeah, our ground staff will have had their wrists slapped and um they won't fall <laughs> fall for it again because yeah, it didn't go down particularly well. Maybe we were just being a little bit sort of looking for a, for an excuse to uh, a reason why Sunderland was so bad against Lincoln, but it was probably something mm. to do with the pitch, why we weren't able to play our normal stuff. Uh, but that's enough about Sunderland. Your season so far then, so since that game, um it's been sort of up and down. Um would that be fair to say? I mean, you're ninth in the table. You've won ten. You've drawn eight. You've lost seven. I was looking. You're one of the lowest goal scorers in the league. You don't score many goals. Um, I mean, take away those four against Sunderland, you've scored twenty five in in what just over half a season. Mm. So, what would you what would you say if if you had to sort of rank where Pompey are at right now in terms of the season so far, ninth in the table? Where would you where would you put things? I think expectations had to be managed a bit this year. The Cowleys have come in and inherited a squad that, you know, I think they had, I think 15 players came in over summer, but there still was some jacket, like I use the word deadwood, but I think that's a little bit harsh, but there were some players there that they clearly didn't really want in the squad who have been, you know, they've been forced to play just through needing to field an 11 essentially. But I think it's, it's a weird one because if you look on paper, I mean, even at the, the recent form, it's not actually that bad because we had a good run of form up till Christmas. We've lost like one in 12 or something. Um, and obviously that's that's a decent return or maybe maybe two in 12. It's, it's not a huge number anyway, but there's a lot of drawn games in there and, and drawn games, for example, you know, Cambridge and Sheffield Wednesday both had players sent off and we had a decent whack of the game playing against 10 and didn't even look like taking advantage of it. We've looked pretty toothless going forward. John Marquis really struggled in the last, I think, it was something like 11 in his last 55 games or something he scored for Pompey playing up top. Um, he really struggled to find the net. Ellis Harrison came back from an injury and, again, was never a really a prolific goal scorer, but he struggled. Uh, both of those players have now have now left. So Marquis has gone to Lincoln and Harrison has gone to Fleetwood. Yeah. So we've struggled to find the net a bit. And generally, Pompey kind of shared the goals around in terms of, you know, using the the, the wide players, this goes back to, you know, when we had Jamal Lowe on one wing, who I'm sure Sunderland have got very fond memories of. But like, <laughs> even then, we used to share the goals around um, between the wingers. That kind of got carried on as we brought Marcus Harness in as his replacement. So you're looking at sharing the goals between Harness, Curtis, whoever's playing up top and whoever's playing Cam. But the contributions from them have tapered off slightly, um, especially from Curtis has had a bit of a, a lean run of form and... That sounds a bit silly saying that when he came on against Exeter in the Football League trophy a couple of weeks ago and scored two in three minutes. But that was very much, you know, the exception to the rule. But yeah, it's it's kind of looked very toothless where the, where the goals are coming from. Uh, Set-piece delivery has got worse. I genuinely think you'll notice at the weekend how often we failed to beat the first man uh, from from corners. That one, that one, that one's interesting to me because the Cowleys were pretty famous when they were at Lincoln mm. for being really good with set-pieces, weren't they? They, they were... They were given quite a lot of credit for the their imagination and mm. and creativity when it came to 
setting up for corners and free kicks. It's been imaginative. I'll give you that. I think for <laughs> first game back after the, the COVID break, our first corner, every single attacking player lined up on sort of the far left corner of the 18-yard box, almost outside of the penalty area. Or sorry, it's the near, the near left corner of the 18-yard box to where the corner was being taken from. And everyone thought this was sort of some tactical masterclass. And I think we played it short and then just lost possession and then ended up you know, nearly getting caught out on the break. So it didn't work out too well. And we haven't seen it since. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, even with all the creativity in the world, if the person taking the corner doesn't beat the first man, then you know you don't get a chance to execute what, what you've been doing in the middle. But it, yeah, Marcus Harness was taking corners for the majority of the last game at Wimbledon. And I really rate him as a player, but the delivery was so ordinary. And then Lee Brown took over in the second half and it improved slightly. Um, but yeah. obviously, Lee Brown's playing left, left-footed. He's, um, you know, you're getting a different angle of attack compared to a right-footed Marcus Harness there from both sides. But yeah, it's, it's been frustrating with the set pieces. I do think you'll notice that this weekend, unless they suddenly have managed to turn it around during the week. But we... I just can't see us scoring four in a game. It seems like a long time ago that we did that, you know, against your your guys down here. In, uh, as you say, it was in October. But it's it's been very toothless. They've lost... They seem to have lost confidence in the final third. So we're very neat, very tidy for the first two thirds of the pitch. And yeah. then where you need to be incisive and then what they're trying to do is suddenly upping the pace. And, you know, they spread the play left, spread spread the play right, back to the middle, spread the play left. And you're looking for that momentary you know gap to appear because teams are slow getting back into it in their new shape it's that bit there where they need to be quick and incisive and it's not happening either the quick incisive pass isn't accurate enough and the attack just breaks down or it's just all very very slow and we end up you know just keeping possession but playing it back to central defense or back to Bazunu, who um, then plays a long ball forward and you kind of go back to square one it's been that yeah, the movement in the final third just hasn't been as quick and incisive as it had been at an earlier point in the season. And that might be because they had three weeks off and they're struggling with, you know, match sharpness. But, you know, we've had, what is it, five games now since that break. It really should be starting to come back by now. And it didn't really show signs of that. You know, the MK yeah. Dons game, we had moments at home. Um, but our response to both times they scored was dreadful. We didn't deserve, I don't think, anything out of that game. A draw, a push. Wimbledon again probably deserved a draw, didn't deserve a win. You know, it's not like we're being robbed of three points every time. That's yeah. that's the concern, I think. Yeah, Cowley then he was he was linked with the um with the Sunderland job when Lee Johnson took it. Uh, from what I believe, it was between Danny Cowley and and Johnson for the job, and it was obviously Johnson that that uh, our our owner and sporting director went with. So I've I've always kept a keen eye on him because. You know, he could have been our manager. He could have it could have been Danny Cowley in the dugout this weekend mm. for Sunderland and not Portsmouth. Do the fans like him at Pompey? Are they, are they taken to him? Because when we when we spoke to Huddersfield fans around the time of that appointment of Lee Johnson when when the job was was up and, and Cowley was in for it, obviously the Huddersfield fans weren't sold on him. The Lincoln fans loved him. So yeah, what how how do Pompey fans feel about him? Yeah, you can see why I mean, they, they obviously divided opinion a bit, especially at Huddersfield, but they've, the general vibe is they've completely got the club. I think they were the right appointment for the Portsmouth identity at the time in that fans of pretty much all ages, you know, from around 
20 something upwards who remember the fan owned years really well have always had sort of very personal affiliation with the club because you know fan owned times were dreadful everyone pulled together you know we were donating money to help buy footballs for them to to use on match days almost it was it was that level of you know we're, we're all in this together and then that identity of feeling united with the club kind of disappeared a bit partially because you know Kenny Jackett's modus operandi was I don't really show any emotion I'm very calm didn't really interact with the fan base very much he wasn't overly keen to come on the podcast we didn't get him onto the PO forecast at any point and we really had wanted to um, even if it was just to show a more chatty almost human side to him yeah um, and everyone felt quite distant from the club um, and then obviously the COVID-19 situation hasn't helped that at all with the break everyone had from the games and then the Cowleys have come in and basically they just you know they had the antithesis of Kenny Jacket. they're everything he wasn't in that they're passionate on the touchline they get the fan base I mean, within, I said there that we tried to get Kenny Jacket on for quite a while onto the PO forecast. Danny Cowley came on within two and a half weeks of being in the job. He was just straight on and said, yeah, no dramas. And then wanted to get to know some of the fans, interacted with them on Twitter for a bit, which he's doing less now. But in terms of making a good first impression, it was, you know, exactly the right thing to do. He goes to watch uh, like the, the under 14s. He goes to watch the girls teams. He interacts with people on the street on a day-to-day basis, just in a way that we've not seen for a while. Um, so yeah, on a personal level, the fact that him and Nikki are both clearly just thoroughly good blokes is what Pompey needed. And I think on a similar note, sort of being the opposite of Kenny Jacket, where, where I see football management and football coaching in five to 10 years time is the Cowley model. It's the Lee Johnson model. It's not the Kenny Jacket traditional model where, yeah. you know, you can see that you know both of our managers are very modern types of coaches, very hands-on. I mean, there are everyone always makes jokes about the, the the Cowleys and their iPad that goes everywhere with them, but it's all very very intricate. And I think the word he used when he spoke to us was um, how he wants to choreograph everything. So it's a choreographed movement, and it's almost like a a a, a, um, a rehearsed dance when you're on the ball, and it's a rehearsed dance when you're off the ball to get back into position. So you're doing the same thing every time. And as far as I'm concerned, the, that modern way of coaching is what everyone will be doing in 10 years' time. And you're seeing it more and more with younger coaches coming into the game, I think. It's, yeah, it's, it's the future, I think. Whereas with Kenny Jacket, we very much felt like we were behind the times. And there, there is frustration because the style of football at the moment is not that pretty to watch. But I'd say the vast majority of Portsmouth fans who have got their heads screwed on would say that this isn't the season the Cowleys get judged on because they are still offloading players like, you know, uh, Downing left the other day, who was a, a Kenny Jacket acquisition that just went completely wrong. Marquis has gone, Harrison has gone. And the Cowley's track record so far with loans has been pretty good in terms of bringing in, you know, they brought in uh, Gavin Bazunu, Joe Morell, both international standard and look it players. Yeah. And there have been a couple in there that haven't worked out so well. So Aziz from Arsenal has just gone back. Ahadmi is... Uh, he's gone to Burton, hasn't he? He was, he was with Norwich under-23s, but he signed uh, for Burton now. Didn't work out with us, but they, they've got at least a season in the absolute bank for most Pompey fans, I think. And there's no there's not going to be any pressure on them if we don't make the playoffs this season. Uh, well, there will be from a, a select few on social media, but <laughs> the, the majority of the fan base wouldn't even have them in the ballpark of being in trouble for their job if we even don't make the playoffs this season, I don't think. So, like, Sunland 
for instance, under Lee Johnson, we, we we now have a defined way of playing. Everybody knows how we like to play football. We like to keep it on the deck. We like to build from the back. Um, the forward line, they all work hard when we don't have the ball. And that's our style of play. And we can now go to players and we can now say, this is how we play football. Here's the evidence. Would you like to come and join us? Does Danny Cowley have a style of football, would you say, a defined way of playing? Yeah, absolutely. It's It's very distinguishable from what we had previously in terms of there's a, there's a few very obvious differences i mean i think it was i think it was first home game of the season uh, crew i think we had and it was the first time we'd all seen gavin bazunu play in in person and we kind of looked up at one point and we had a corner and it was just the fact that gavin bazunu was stood in the center circle uh for an attacking <laughs> corner and you know <laughs> that panicked us all a little bit but it was obviously just the first example we saw of the Cowley plan of how they want the team lining up in terms of maintaining possession. But yeah, their their identity is clearly playing, well, they, I'd imagine we'll line up with three centre-backs and two attacking wing-backs unless, unless they change it because it didn't really work against Wimbledon. But I, I, I imagine they'd keep that formation with the two attacking wing-backs trying to provide as many overlaps as possible. Um, the difficulty we had against Wimbledon there was because the attacking wing-backs runs were getting intercepted and blocked off, we were left very, very um, narrow and the ball got very sort of congested and bogged down in the centre of midfield. So potentially something that Sunderland could be focusing on is that this weekend. But yeah, the Cowley play, you want, you're seeing a choreographed high press where it's not just one player doing it and getting it passed around, which is utterly pointless. And again, what we had John Marquis doing for months under Kenny Jacket, which must have infuriated John Marquis having to do that every game. But it's more choreographed now with multiple players closing down one thing that I think, was it the last time we played you? Maybe the time before. I really noticed how many times we won the ball back in the attacking third, thanks to the high press. And that's been noticeable in a number of games this season. How often we get possession turnover in an attacking position because of the high press, or at least we win, you know, an attacking throw in through panicking defences into making mistakes. Mm. Um, so yeah, that high press playing out for the back. Bazunu, if he's got the ball at hand... Again, this was slightly different against Wimbledon, which was surprising. But generally, you'll play it short um, and try and play out from the back. We've got central midfielder players like, I mean, Joe Morell. He's very much a case of play the ball into his feet. He will turn and go uh, if he drops slightly deep. And again, on an ideal day, it's very easy for me to sound like I'm bigging Pompey up here. The results don't really support me at the moment for the last few games. But on their day that quick attacking zippy football that's played out from the back, we can turn defence into attack very, very quickly in about three or four passes. And it is all about that sudden change in playing speed. It will be very, very almost walking pace at times, which can be frustrating when you're watching, when it just goes left to right, to left to right, back to centre defender, back forward, left to right, play it between the centre midfielders a little bit. And it doesn't look like there's a run being made, but you can see that what the Cowleys have tried to instill is that sudden change in pace where they're, they're being taught to identify when the moment is right and then execute without you know any real mm. warning. Um, and when that works, it works spectacularly. When it doesn't work, what you see is we'll keep the ball for a long time and then try something extravagant and give it away. So it's very much, if it works, you look like a genius if it doesn't work, the crowd can get frustrated quickly or some parts of the crowd can get frustrated very quickly. Well, yeah, that that sort of sounds like how we used to play um, when Jack Ross was manager. But now we, we it, it's interesting you talk about the high press because that's sort of what we do, really. Um, but what we find is when teams press high against us, we do struggle. So 
it could be interesting to see how the two styles mesh up at the weekend. Um, but before we talk about the game at the weekend, I just want to touch on the, the transfer window. I know you've mentioned a few players that you've signed and, and got rid of. Um, the one that's probably most intriguing because you haven't signed a great deal of players yet is uh, Tyler Walker coming in from Coventry to presumably replace Marcus up front. Uh, are you happy with, with that signing? Because he is a player who, at this level, uh, a couple of seasons ago, was pretty prolific, wasn't he? Yeah, I th- he's played with the Cowleys before as well. So he was with the Cowleys at Lincoln. So he's come back to you know a relationship that he obviously knows works, which is in itself quite reassuring that the Cowleys are leaving players with positive enough relationships that they want to come back and play for them again, which again isn't something you'd see with Kenny Jacket, quite the opposite. But I mean, there's a whole other podcast on that that your listeners wouldn't care about in the slightest, <laughs> I imagine. But yeah, Tyler Walker has come in. His record at Coventry wasn't spectacular in the championship, um, but a lot of those were sort of sub-appearances. His League One record, I, again, this is probably slightly out, it's off the top of my head, I think it was sort of 14 in 29, or ish, or 14 in 28, he scored in the season before moving into the championship. So he's got a half-decent record. You know, we, We'd take a one in two goal scorer at the moment compared to you know what Marquis was one in five for the last season and a season and a bit um the the slight concern is two nines have gone out Harrison and Marquis have both gone out only one has come in it's not the end of the transfer window yet so we're not hitting the panic button but he looked fairly bright against Wimbledon considering he hadn't even trained with the team yet he arrived and hadn't actually really met the team at all until the trip to the ground bedded him pretty well uh, wasn't a spectacular debut but looked like he had some pace on him again some of the Coventry play uh, sorry some of the Coventry fans said that uh, he can look a little bit lazy at times but that didn't I mean it w- you'd hope it wouldn't come across in your first appearance for a new team no. but it did that's <laughs> not the time to be lazy but it didn't it didn't look like he was you know giving anything less than 10 out of 10 in terms of effort but I mean the you could have the greatest striker playing for you. It's the the service that is uh, going to be the deciding factor and it's the service we've been struggling with a little bit recently. But I think he's probably going to take a few games to sort of hit the ground running and get to know the system a little bit. But he's played with the Cowleys before. He knows exactly what their expectations of him are going to be. He's got a decent track record in this division. And, you know, the the Portsmouth fans who are saying well, he's, he can't cut it in the championship. you just got to quietly remind them that we're actually ninth in League One and uh, mm-hmm. I wouldn't put money on us even making the playoffs at the moment. So we need to maybe temper our expectations a little bit there. But he's a bright player by the looks of it. I'm basing this all off, you know, one game that I've watched him in, in full. He looks like a bright player. I think similarly to George Hurst, if he gets that first goal under his belt, You'd hope more would follow. That's what's happened with Hurst a little bit in that he scored his first goal in in senior men's league football and um, has looked a lot more dangerous since then. He's got his confidence up a little bit. So hopefully that'll be the case with Tyler Walker this weekend. And it could be quite interesting to see whether uh, one of our players jumps on the coach back to Portsmouth with with your squad because it looks as though uh, Denver Hume has probably already agreed to join up with you guys. I presume it's being held off because of the game, which would be sensible from Sunderland's perspective and mm. understandable given, you know, Portsmouth probably want the player. They'll be like, yeah, okay, fair enough. We'll take him, but we'll wait till after Saturday. So, yeah, it looks like Denver Hume is, is going to Pompey. Um, the fee that I've heard is around 200 grand with a sell-on fee, uh, with a sell-on percentage down the line, perhaps, which could work out well for Sunderland. 
Uh, do you know much about Denver? Is there is there anything in particular that you're sort of expecting from him as a player? I mean, we we had a brief conversation about this the other day, and I think we're we're looking to fill that sort of role on the left side of defence, which is I'm assuming where the Cowleys would be wanting to utilise him because yeah. oh he's he's very much uh, a, a left footed player. I mean, he doesn't really yeah. have a right foot, but is is an attacking fullback. Um, okay, yeah, pretty decent player at this level, I would say. Yeah, it sounds like. He's more defensively sound than what we're currently implementing in that left wing back role, uh, which is frequently Rico Hackett, who is very much more of a left attacking winger and is as I really rate him as a player, but it's not his number one position. And he's been caught short a little bit in that position, fairly costly and mm. uh, in fairly costly situations a couple of times. So I, I think they're looking at bringing in a left sided defender who is potentially going to be a little bit more stable, is probably the right word, sort of solid, if not spectacular. And we've heard mixed things from the Sunderland <laughs> fan base. There are some comments we've seen of people offering to sort of drive him down um, or, you know, pay for his plane ticket, which seems a little bit harsh. But Very harsh, yeah. He's not as bad as a lot of people make out. I think the problem with Denver is, is that his contract situation in the summer went on that long that it soured people's um, some people's mm. opinion of him. Um, but for the most part, he's been solid, like you've just said, solid enough. You know, I wouldn't say he's particularly great at attacking or defending. Um, he does like to get forward, and he's got a bit of pace, and he's good sort of going down the outside, overlapping. Uh, but his his main issue really is staying fit. And that sounds like the sort of player we like signing. That does. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the thing is, thing is though, he's because he's been second fiddle this season. He's had no reason to really get injured, so he did actually pick up an injury I think in a cup game and was out for a little while but to be fair we signed Dennis Serkin from Tottenham mm. and he's our first choice there and even when Denver's been fit and Serkin hasn't played uh, Lee Johnson's preferred Lyndon Gooch who's actually a wide player with a, who's pretty much right footed predominantly playing there in front of him so I can understand why they may be happy enough for him to leave because really he's got to play games but he's yeah I think if you can keep him fit you're not going to find many more solid left-backs to play at this level. He's, this is his ceiling, though, I think. OK, I mean, at the end of the day, we're, as I said, we're ninth in League One. At the moment, League One <laughs> being a ceiling is fine, as long as it's top end of League One. And mm. it is that solid and stable that we need because, you know, we're not conceding huge numbers of goals, don't don't get me wrong, but that left wing-back position is probably where we look most vulnerable now in terms of a player not playing in their natural role. Mm. So it, it makes absolute sense that that's the next sort of hole they try and fill because we're a bit square peg round hole there at the moment. And yeah. then after that, I, th- I imagine it'll be in hopefully one more nine uh, just to sort of fill out the squad. And uh, not in a, we need another striker, you know, I've said every football fan ever, but we've had two go out and only one come in. And if Hurst uh, and Walker are starting up top, we don't really have any other nines available. Um, Ronan Curtis has started playing up there a little bit. Harness has played there a couple of times. Uh, with there's, there's a lot of fluidity at the moment in terms of who plays where. So the wide players all occasionally muck in at ten and occasionally muck in at nine as well. But yeah, I think it would it would make sense for us to be signing him. I'm not surprised that that's the next position they've decided to focus on. Yeah, and you've got to think as well the transfer market this year in particular is not particularly. Um, it's, it's not as though the, the, there are lots of players looking for new clubs. It's um, just a sign, I guess, of the times. I, I heard the Peterborough chairman refer to it as a footballing recession. 
And um, when you look at sort of the money being spent, there isn't a great deal going about and there aren't a great deal of clubs willing to let players go. But yeah, the game at the weekend then is uh, a big one for, for us, I think, because when you look at the top of the table, we're, we're sat third, we're joint with Wigan, who have got four games in hand on us. Uh, Wickham are only a point ahead and then Rotherham are breathing. They've got two games in hand on us, actually. So we need to win. We We've not done well enough in the last three games in this last week. Uh, we've picked up you know, nowhere near enough points, which has sort of meant that this game is now very, very important for Sunderland, which heaps the pressure on us, I guess, and I don't know if you'd agree, makes it a little bit more uh, relaxing for Pompey, I guess. They can come up here and they can sort of feel their way into the game, take the time, frustrate us maybe, which is what a lot of teams like to do at the stadium alike, but... Uh, would you be happy with a point, or are you are you wanting all three? Would yeah, I'd absolutely, I'd snap your hand off for <laughs> a point. Absolutely, that'd be a very good point away from home. Uh, taking into account the last our last couple of performances as well. I mean, it sounds like you you'd only be happy with three this weekend, realistically, then because of the sort of the league table situation. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because you know, even below Rotherham, you've got MK Dons who are only on forty six points. So you know, we we lose and they win. That's a three point. Mm. gap between us and them and they've got a game in hand so yeah Sunderland really need to get back into the mood and uh, well the mood of winning games we've we've been on a few good runs this season and then we've also interspersed those with runs of draws and losses so well, yeah it's, it's an important one for Johnson, us isn't it? well yeah I'm, I'm always sort of uh, I don't know a lot of fans like to throw that around and I can understand why I try not to but I mean, if we don't win at the weekend, yeah, then it's another streak, isn't it? Mm. So, <laughs> yeah, pressure's yeah. totally on us. But um, from what you're saying, you'd snap, snap our hands off for a point. But how do you see the Cowleys approaching this one? Like I've just said, when teams come here, and if they do take points off us, they tend to do it by frustrating us, working hard off the ball, you know, making the fans in the ground frustrated after 20, 25 minutes if it's still nil-nil. Mm. Do you expect they'll approach it that way? I think so, yeah. I think it's very different to the Wimbledon game in that, again, not, not any disrespect to FC Wimbledon, but when it got to 25, 30, 35 minutes and it was nil-nil, they, their fans sort of grew into the game a bit more. They'd been very, you know, we didn't really hear them for the first 30, 35 minutes at all, and then they kind of grew into it a little bit. Whereas I think it would be kind of the opposite at the Stadium of Light in that 30, 35 minutes, 40 minutes, and if you've not created anything clear-cut, there are nerves and there is pressure, sort of similar to an Ipswich away when they're going through a bit of a dodgy run. It's it's very, very on a knife edge in terms of, you know, if if they score early, then it can be a bit of a, a landslide because it's very difficult as an away fan when you're outnumbered, you know, 15 to 1 or something. If the, away, if the home team has scored first, then, you know, it's very difficult to be loud and, and you know, assert some sort of um, effect on the game. Whereas, yeah, if it gets to... 30, 35 minutes in and Sunderland have been frustrated and Pompey are starting to grow into the game, then it's just an entirely different feel to the game. So I do think they'll try and see out... You know, we're imagining that you're going to try and start fast and, and do what I've just described. I would imagine Pompey are going to try and nullify for that, uh, nullify that early doors, grow into the game and then exploit things later on. So almost the opposite of what the, the home tie was where we started so fast and you know we're out of sight by half-time. I think it's more likely that We'll stay in the game, or we'll try to stay in the game until you know half time, and then try and push through into the second half when there are maybe more nerves and the players potentially getting a bit more stretched. Because as you say, if you need to win, you're going to be looking for those goals in the second half if they haven't come. When we're playing against teams who are 
opening up because they're attacking, it almost plays to our strengths a little bit. It's when we come up against, you know, two blocks of four or something that that slow play in the final third and the lack of accuracy on that final pass is really making us suffer. So I'd imagine that will be, well, that's that's what I would be doing if I was Danny Cowley in this position. Uh, yeah, wait until the game opens up and then try and punish with a moment of quality in the second half. Pretty much what Lincoln did, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pretty much what they did. Frustrated us, worked hard. And then uh, Chris Maguire came up with a hat trick. But yeah, we're past that now. I, I was going to ask about it, but I won't. If you've just got through the emotional trauma <laughs> of his celebrations, I'll, uh, I'll, let, I'll let that one, Matt, go outside Yeah, I was... Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll not go over that. Um, <laughs> predictions then. What do you think might happen then? If you, you know you said you wanted a point. You would snap your hand off. Yeah. Is that realistic? I think it's realistic. I don't think it's going to be high scoring. I really don't. I no. I think we're defensively good enough to not fall to pieces, especially now we've got three actual centre... Well, Conor Ogilvy is sort of more a left-sided centre-back, but has done an incredible job. We've basically got three proper centre-backs playing together now for the first time in a while. And Clark Robertson is now pretty much match fit as well, so he could, in theory, come in. He's been out injured for quite a while. So I, I wouldn't expect, unless you get a huge amount of joy on the wings and really exploit our two attacking wing-backs, because both of them, Romeo as well, amazing going forward, can be iffy defensively if he's put under pressure and make the wrong decision in a split second. But unless that happens, I wouldn't imagine they're going to fall to pieces and concede a load. I really don't see that happening. But similarly, I don't think we're cutting enough going forward to score a lot at the moment. So, I mean, if, if we lose, I don't think there'll be more than one goal in it. But I will. Mm. I, I think a one-all draw. I'm, that's that's the optimistic side of me. That's probably my <laughs> my heart more than my head. But I'm absolutely going to represent my heart on a on a Sunderland podcast. I'm not going <laughs> to come on here and actually speak common sense. That would be that'd be insane. So I'll go with a one-all draw. Nice. Well, cheers, Andy. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, really appreciate the time, mate. Where can people find your podcast, your stuff before and after the game? I imagine, like me, a lot of people like to listen to what the uh, the opposition fans have got to say before and after the game. Yeah, absolutely. So we're mostly uh, around on Twitter. So either at PO Forecast, uh, so PO and then the number four cast, or at Pompey News Now on Twitter. They they post basically the same, same group, but the, there's a podcast-specific Twitter group. And yeah, the most recent episode that I was unable to make, because I was ill, actually previews the game with uh, Hugh and Freddie. I listened to it back. Well worth a listen, I think. I'm probably slightly biased. But <laughs> um, yeah, well worth a listen if you want to get an opposition view that's potentially slightly more in-depth, actually, than what I've offered here, because they had a lot more statistics in front of them uh, that they pulled out the bag. But yeah, well worth a listen. Hopefully, our prediction of, um, of taking something off you guys comes to fruition. Now, hopefully for you. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Thank you very much for joining us. No worries. Thank you for having me. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 